As you're turning to Acts chapter 19, I'm just going to make a, a couple of marks that I usually do and forgot to that will help me make sure I don't skip a few scriptures I want us to go to. So please, uh, please forgive me just taking a moment to do that. Okay. Just to be safe. So we open our Bibles to chapter 19 of the book of Acts. Again, remember Acts is uh, Dr. Luke's second book. The Gospel of Luke is his first book. Uh, it opens very similarly to Luke that he has all these eyewitness accounts and witnesses that we can have confidence that in Jesus Christ for eternal life and believe in him and he's the Messiah. And in chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 19 to 20. Uh, this evening, I will have you look at some other verses here and in other parts of Acts. So I guess I want to prepare you for that. We're going to flip around a little bit, but uh, I intend, I'm pretty sure we stay in the book of Acts. So uh, please keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at a few things together. Acts 19, 19 to 20 is what we're going to focus on. Let me read that for you now. Acts 19, 19 to 20. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I'd like to read that uh, again. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You could uh, look at verse 13 and following to get a sense of some other things relating to that with spiritists, uh, divinators, that kind of thing. This is often what is getting dealt with in the scriptures and uh, corrected and people delivered from. Uh, as we think about this message tonight, I want to remind you that the sermon for last Lord's Day evening was this. Seize the day while today is the day of salvation. And the emphasis was on evangelism and hastening the day of the return of our Lord Jesus in that evangelism. The texts were 2 Peter 3, 11 to 12, speaking of hastening the day by our holy behavior. Keep that in mind with what we'll look at tonight. Uh, Matthew 24, 14, the preaching of the gospel has to go to all nations before the end will come, the return of our Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, today is the day of salvation. A sense of calling on people to repent while today is today. That's what we looked at last week. Now, preaching is the verbal declaration of God's written revelation. We want to recognize that sharing the gospel is very much involving words and sharing the words of the word, the Bible. But what also is a major part of your getting the gospel out? Well, it does relate to last week, this idea of your lifestyle. What? is a major part of you getting the gospel out, showing God inwardly changed your life by getting the world out of you and your living. It's a witness. When there's a drastic change, when there's obviously something's happened, this person is, it's different. You get rid of things that other people want to hold on to, especially as we see tonight related to money. 
When Christians destroy their life's deviances, the gospel greatly grows in their lives and discipleship. And I give you that to you as a main idea we're looking at here. When Christians destroy their lives' deviances, the gospel greatly grows in their lives and discipleship. Now, certainly the way this reads, it could be that uh, it's sort of commenting on all that's come before. And so this is a summary of what we're observing and describing to you. But I submit to you, I think there's more than that. I think verse 20 is being shown to us to be a result of what has come just before this big change and the impact it's having on people. Gospel growth comes by attrition of sins. That's the message for you this evening. Gospel growth comes by attrition of sins. Growth by attrition. Familiar with that phrase? Sounds like an oxymoron. Uh, growth by attrition. We're going to grow by losing something. <laughs> Uh, I hear this phrase often related to sports teams, organizations, when they let a person who's really talented but just ended up being too difficult. Uh, growth by attrition. We let the person go and we're going we're gonna to grow because it was really holding us back, holding us down. You'll hear that with other organizations. Basically, uh, bad apples. Subtraction of something negative creates the addition of something positive, making room for it. I submit to you, I think that's part of what we're observing here. If, if, you know, if not, there are other aspects of a, a summary statement. I think we're seeing the influence of, uh, of what's been happening. Growth by attrition. Verse 20, we see the word, and the Greek for that is logos, logic. The word of Jesus is growing. Uh, the word of Jesus is prevailing. The gospel is growing. Uh, John 1 verse 1 says Jesus is the Logos. It grew and it was strong and able. That is the development and outreach of Christianity through Christians. John Calvin says the word was confirmed in everyone thus to wit that they did profit in the obedience of the gospel and in godliness more and more and that their faith took deeper root. And of course, those roots spread. What are we seeing in the book of Acts? The church spreading from Judea, uh, from Jerusalem into Judea to Samaria, the other parts of the earth. The gospel, the first half, particularly through Peter, focusing on the Jews. Paul, in the second part, focusing on the Gentiles. There's overlap. But the advancing of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, God continuing to do good works, and the church growing. I want you to turn back with me. We're going to come back here, but look at chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. This is the kind of growth we want to be praying for and seeing and recognizing often how it's happening, certainly in the preaching, but often in the, just the interaction and the, uh, the seeing of what the Spirit is doing in people's lives. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, and every man as every man had need. 
And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, a remarkable change caused remarkable growth. These people who would have spent their time in other ways, worldly ways, are now spending them in church ways, ways with the church. The church that is later called in Acts, the way. Oh, they're in regular fellowship, regular worship and preaching. You see people being added to the church daily. Now, such as be, should be saved, we know it's the work of the Lord, but you see the means he's using. He is making a change in people's lives, and that is drawing other people's lives to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. You see the, the mercy, you see the work of healing, you see these mothers. Notice, <coughs> did you see fear? There's the sense of awe of what the Lord is doing. Something is happening. It's certainly the word preached, but it's also the effect of the word preached. It's the Holy Spirit blowing through and changing people's lives, converting them, and seeing the reality of that conversion in the way they're completely changing. As is also said in the book of Acts, being turned upside down. Their lives, their households being turned upside down. But what was the particular cause of the growth of the gospel of Christ? Back in chapter 19, what was the particular cause of the growth of the gospel of Christ? Or at least it's, if, 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 if it's a bit of a summary of things, it's certainly a lot of what's leading into the crescendo here. What is the cause? Acts 19, verse 19, the verse before verse 20, they made room for the logos, they made room for the word of Jesus by getting rid of their biblos or their biblus in terms of the way it's ex expressly used uh, in the Greek for the, for the grammar. But it's where we get the word books, biblos, biblus. Yeah. And uh, it's frankly related to the word Bible, which is the book, right? Capital B. They're getting rid of their books, and that's making room for Jesus, who is the Logos, the Word. And, of course, the Bible being preached to them. And namely, what are the books they're getting rid of? Books of magic, the magical arts. I think that's significant. It's always significant, but I think that's significant to recognize today with how much magic is so significantly uh, Loved in our culture and in the too many Christians. But they're getting rid of this. And it's the getting rid of these books that makes room for the growth of the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that relationship. Matthew Henry says this. He explains, they were those that traded in the study of magic and divination in books of judicial astrology, casting nativities, telling fortunes, raising and laying spirits, interpreting dreams, predicting future events, and the like. I think all those things are alive and well, and too sadly you hear about these in the church. But what is the response of converted Christians? I am burning all that up. 
And of course, all that divination is an attempt to have control, very much related to idolatry, right? To want to try to control things, control God, and almost be the demigod and have these powers for myself. I'm giving that up. I don't have it. I'm turning to God. I'm dying to myself. I'm opening up to God. But notice the drastic thing. They burn them all up, pile them up, burn them all up. You know, I think if something like that happened in the church today, it might get on the news. And we'd be uh, looked at as those horrible Puritans with a book burning, you know. And I don't want to be silly or stupid about it, but there could be a place for such a thing. But it would be our own books. It wouldn't be we have to go to somebody else's library. It would be our own things that we're going to start putting into the pile and get rid of now. John Calvin points out that Luke doth not only speak of magical jugglings, but of frivolous and vain studies, whereof the more part of men is for the most part to uh, desirous. For he useth the word, speaking of the Greek, under which the Grecians comprehended whatsoever things have in themselves no sound commodity, but lead men's minds and studies through diverse crooks unprofitably. Such is judicial astrology, as they call it, and whatsoever divinations men invent to themselves against the time to come. You know, don't you notice, and it's sadly I've seen it too often with at least people who have some kind of church upbringing, what are you doing going and having your hand read? I mean, eat the cookie, but throw out the fortune. Don't even read it. I refuse to read. I'll eat the cookie, but I, in my family, we do not read it. You know, going to psychics, there's so many things that, I mean, maybe they just do it safely on television watching from their couch, right? But, you know, always wanting to kind of play around with what maybe can I get some control over, get some insight on, get some kind of prophecy over my life. But you can't get them into church consistently, if at all. Oh, they'll say they love God and they're spiritual. But the spirits they seem to be interested in spending time with are divination, uh, div not, not the divine. And let me just say in a summary form what you know as we've gone through the Pentateuch together, God often forbids magic. You can go to some specific sermons on our sermon audio page, and if you want to go back, search the word magic. God goes out of his way to forbid as an abomination. That's a strong word. Wizards, wizardry, witchcraft, magic, divination. These are things that God says are horribly wicked. He doesn't want you to touch with a 10, 20, 30,000 foot pole. Certainly not have books about them in your bookcase or on your desk. And Christians in the New Testament who are convicted by the Spirit got rid of them as their conversion response in Christ. And they didn't just get rid of them. They didn't throw them, well, I'll just give them to the local Goodwill or the library. They burned them. I don't want anyone else to have this. Beloved, I can't not make some application here directly. There are many books that Christians should throw out, even some that are often used, even in the Reformed camp, to illustrate Christianity. When it's all about magic and wizards, I don't know how we justify it. I don't care how popular it is. Go back to Pilgrim's Progress if you need something like that. But in particular, and I will be specific here, 
If you want to give a powerful witness where people say, what is with this kid? What is with this person? What is with this family? Man, they seem serious. Maybe this Jesus is real and serious. I want to challenge you children especially, burn up your Harry Potter books. Parents, do not let that be the kind of thing you have in your home. And if you, have don't, if you don't have them, refuse to have them. And don't be shy about it. And why? Destroy the DVDs. Don't watch those movies. God hates them. He hates those things. Don't come near them. What do you see with these Christians today? They're burning up their books of divination and magic. This is what will change the world. When we are truly in it, but not of it, and casting out its wickedness from our lives, as we are no longer living that kind of life. That is a witness. Can I get a witness? That is a witness. That is a life-changing witness in the world around you. I won't participate in things like this. And if I used to, I will now destroy them. That's the witness that will change the world. And you and I are often too afraid. Very peaked and quiet about it. Don't want to be considered Puritans. <laughs> you know, don't want to be considered too zealous or crazy. Well, indeed, the zeal needs to have love and wisdom. But Jesus says, repent and be zealous so that I don't vomit you out of my mouth with your lingering laziness and lukewarmness about such things. What God says is an abomination you and I should find to be abominable in our lives. And this is what the conversion of Christians looks like in the book of Acts. And, and, and by the way, beloved, it's not some of these other things that are non-normative that people tend to want to try to repeat while they hold on to such books and movies. Spend more time on this kind of a normative behavior if you want to see unusual work of God bringing people to Christ through our lives into this church. It will take some time. Too many, too many don't want to give such things up. But when the Holy Spirit does a work, this is what he does. And over time... He might do it in others around you. But we shouldn't expect for it to happen if we won't have this kind of behavior. We should not expect serious things to happen in our lives and the lives of others if we aren't going to get serious. If we aren't going to go Puritan. Zealous. We can go axe on this situation. And it's got to cost you. It's got to be costly because the things that you loved and lusted for and wanted to cling to and own cost you money, let alone a lot of other things. And to get rid of those things will be a lot of money you're burning up and throwing away. Well, if they can melt their golden belongings to make golden calf idols, can't we burn our things and get rid of them for the true God? 
look at the value, 50,000 pieces of silver. I mean, I don't even have to do the calculations with modern time. Whatever those pieces looked like, 50,000 pieces of silver. This was a major event. It was probably a pretty big fire. The value of these things. Now, keep in mind also, they can't just turn around and say, I'm going to go get another one on the Internet when no one's looking. You know, it isn't the same as today with the access we have. There's no Gutenberg Press. I mean, you know, let alone, uh, you know, Amazon. To, this is a significant uh, getting rid of something that is going, it's going to cost me. But it's because of the blood of Christ. What cost him to save me of my sins? Of course I'll do that. I don't want anything that offends my Lord in my life. And I certainly don't expect him to use my life to influence the lives of others if I won't do something like this. 50,000 pieces of silver. One commentary says 50,000 drachmas was an outrageous total, showing clearly the Ephesians' fascination with such things. The drachma was a silver coin representing the average wage for a day. Thus, this total represents over 135 years' wages. Assume they mean for one person. It was destroyed by many. All of these books being burned, you notice it, it was by many people. Chapter 19, verse 19. Many, many. Pray the Lord does something like this. Where many are just convicted of sin and want to destroy uh, their sinful things in their lives and make room for Christ to do a work and not be in danger of backsliding to these things and risking God's wrath. Many, many people. And when you see that kind of amount of value, this was a, I think this would get on the news even today. This kind of major loss of cost, this is powerful. And this is something, beloved, that may we pray would be more normative by a work of the Holy Spirit. Many were converted, and this is what happened as their conversion. Money and the love of money is no longer their idol, no longer what they trust in. And that behavior led to conversion of many others. It was contagious in a sense. The Spirit's certainly doing it, but the Spirit has these movements we know in church history. We see them in the scriptures where the people respond to the preached word, and it's influencing one another. And we see the same in what follows, still in Ephesus. And it's pretty powerful to see, once again, the effect of the gospel the powerful witness of the gospel. And it's not without conflict and it's not without confrontation, but it's a powerful witness by a major lifestyle change of people who have been converted and are now Christians and say, well, naturally, I can't do that anymore. And I'm not going to. No, get rid of it. Burn that up. No more. I'll never buy that again. Let's look at what comes next. Verses 21 through verse 1 of chapter 20. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. 
And the same time there arose no small stir about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana. Now, think about that. He's the silversmith. He wants all this value of silver, right? Uh, he makes shrines for Diana, of course, a false goddess, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but also throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not whereof they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess." Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies, let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there, be no, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go unto Macedonia. The idol makers, the silversmiths, were mad because they weren't making any money anymore. Because so many people became Christians, there wasn't a market for idols made out of silver unto Diana anymore. Now recognize all the things they're saying. Uh, it's not that it's true, but that's what they're saying about the great Diana. But notice how they're saying the whole world of Asia worship Diana. How dare they affect us? And they're concerned for her honor. But the truth is they're concerned for their wallets and their bank accounts. It's always about money. Who knows if they even really believe this stuff. But what they did know is they wanted their money. 
And they're so mad that they're losing so much money because nobody wants to buy silver idols anymore because they're Christians. There is a clear economic effect in the world being witnessed. Now recognize this. Two hours. Can you imagine? Two hours. They're screaming in the marketplace. Diana, Diana, Diana of the Ephesians. Two hours. There's this uproar. There's all this noise and commotion. But why ultimately is it happening? Certainly they're being stirred up and wi by wicked men. But why is it happening? Because the Holy Spirit has stirred up so many to be good men in Christ that they won't buy this stuff anymore. They've had such an impact by their life in the world. Earlier, they're burning up all of their sorcery books worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Here, nobody can make any money making silver gods anymore. Their life change is so dramatic where it's simple, real things that God says that impact and directly touch the world, especially how they make their money on these things. That it is causing this huge stir. It is getting a witness. Now, see, especially uh, verse 21. They're ending, and Paul opposed the spirit when he had passed through. No, excuse me. Uh, I think I wanted to say verse 23. Uh, yes, verse 23 of chapter 19. Uh, and the same time there arose no small stir about the way. What is the way? Well, Acts says after a while, that's what they were called. Eventually they take on the name Christians. But also they, they, this movement, this religion is called the way. Well, after all, they're following Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth and the life. So the effect of Christianity is no small stir, which is a way of understating to make a big statement. They... We're having a huge impact on the world's economy and not on the way the world likes it. The world couldn't make money off, off of Christians. They were losing money from Christians. They were having an economic impact. And we don't want to think about it as too often, oh, the economic impact we can have by our purchasing power. How about our lifestyle change? That It's not a matter of ever getting that purchasing power back. We're going to burn it up and we're never going to buy another one. That's the impact they're having. Uh, just like chapter 6. Look at chapter 6 with me. Now, this is all through Acts. The lifestyle change of Christians converted to Christ. And how that life impacts the lives of others and is a witness. Acts 6, 1-7. And in those days when the numbers of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, and they laid their hands on them. 
And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Oh, some of the priests are even been won over. The word of God, again, we see in verse 7, increased. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. Many people are coming to Christ. And why? Because they were feeding people. That's something that doesn't have to be non-normative. A powerful mercy ministry as a witness. They are seeing people's lives change. They're seeing life change. They're seeing people's lives impact others' lives in meaningful, real, tangible ways. And the church is growing because of the way they're impacting other people's lives. Look with me also at chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verses 20 to 24. Also notice what I intended to point out is how did it come up that they needed the office of deacon to take better physical care of people with mercy ministry? Because people were complaining about him. The Grecians, unbelievers were complaining about him. But they recognized that this is a need we need to take care of better, preserving the office of the ministers and elders for the word and prayer. And so they developed this, off, this office to take care of all these disciples and many of their physical needs. But notice the contrast again was, uh, excuse me, the context was difficulty. The world's witnessing of them and looking for problems. And then their meeting of those needs. Uh, chapter 12 now, verses 20 to 24. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king, uh, uh, Chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arraigned in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory and was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, the thing is, is this is in the context that Peter was imprisoned. And Herod, uh, it seems he did have the jailers killed in this case. Think about that related to Acts 16, why he almost slew himself, the, the village uh, Philippian jailer who was saved. Uh, he's so mad that Peter's gotten out by a work of God. But again, notice prison. Being in prison, rather than giving in to the pressures of the world, preaching the gospel and being willing to be imprisoned for it. And then as the Lord rescues him, all these things. And then Herod, who isn't willing to give himself to the way, he ends up dying a horrible death. And because he's with the world and he dies a horrible death, yet those like Peter willing to be imprisoned for the way, what's the result? The word of God grew and multiplied. The word of God grew and multiplied. All of these interactions with the world and calling upon people to, to give up the world and turn to Christ and what their lifestyle will look at as a result. Now remember another recent sermon on Acts chapter 8. Turn there back with me, Acts chapter 8, and then we'll remain in chapter 19. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. 
And Saul was consenting unto his death, that is, of Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Notice this is who is now Paul we're talking about today. But first he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women uh, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Ah, but do you see there all this persecution and problems? Disperse the church, disperse Christians to go have the word preached in all these other places. The sermon for you then was God disturbs and disperses you to make disciples. The diaspora was due to the religious persecution, and that brought the true religion to others. Persecution was because of the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission of Jesus Christ? Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Go tell people to do what I say. Go tell people to live my way. Now, it's only because in the greater context, I am the way of life. They only have eternal life. They don't earn life by their works. But if they are saved, their works will show. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Walk in this way of Jesus. They're not works that save us, but saved in Jesus, they're the way that we are to work. And it is a witness. Now notice, right here, we have Paul when he's Saul. How does Saul become Paul? He's persecuting Christians. They're trying to stop this movement of Christianity. And Christians are saying, persecute me. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to change. I'm going to live for Jesus now. And then they get dispersed. The word goes everywhere. And then Paul has an encounter with Jesus. In chapter 9, he becomes a Christian himself. He goes from Saul to Paul. But notice, all of this disruption, all of this taking away of what we think we want and putting now Jesus in our way and making him our way. And then our lives are so different do you think that Paul's witness wasn't major? I mean, after all, at first, people were afraid in the way to let Paul in. But this is one who was persecuting us. Yeah, look what a major thing God did. He completely changed him. Now he's preaching for us. Now he's proclaiming Christ and building the church. That is a major change of lifestyle. That is a witness. And boy, did the Lord use Paul as a missionary. Most of your New Testament. Many of the New Testament churches, because of the lifestyle of Christians. Beloved, you will not attract the world as the light of the world to the Father of heavenly lights in the cover of its darkness. You won't preserve and add godly flavor to the earth when you lose your saltiness. You burn up your bad influences, and then the light of the gospel shines forth in that. Your sanctification shines, which, as you know, before vivification is mortification. 
and this draws others to salvation. Oh, that Christians today would have the same kind of economical impact by what they destroy rather than what they demand. By what they no longer will purchase with the idols of this world. Oh, that restaurants would be closed on Sundays because no faithful churchgoer would ever consider violating the fourth commandment and causing someone else to work. Whereas now that's the first thing. The restaurants are packed with Christians after church. No wonder they don't come to us. They don't have to. We go to them. It's the opposite of what you see in the Bible. It's the opposite of what you see in the book of Acts. It's the opposite of what you see in our text tonight. Tonight is another good test for us, beloved. You don't give your attention and your money and your time to worship the pigskin tonight because it's an annual idol sacrifice. You sacrifice what used to be the way you'd spend this date at night by going on a date with Jesus on his, the Lord's day, with both morning and evening worship services and not causing others to work for your pleasure. Instead, you remember Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, because you're a Christian and it looks different. Because it is different in you, it looks different outside of you. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord." And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And if people see you sacrificing how you used to spend the Lord's day and thus delighting in the Lord, then they may actually be interested in what you have to say about him. Or if they see when they walk into your home and they don't see the same books on your bookshelves and they don't see the same DVDs in your library and they see you going to church tonight, well, probably you did. We heard screams coming from the houses of worship of the pigskin. It might just draw them in time. If they see you delighting in the Lord, they may actually be interested in what you have to say about him. If they see your life completely changed and turned side upside down with Christ now as your head, they may actually want to know something about him. If he is so precious, you'd rather spend the day with him and get rid of other distracting worldly things today so you can open his word together and worship him with it. It is when you get rid of the old stuff that there is room for the spirit to do a new work. 
as Paul says, put off the old and put on the new. There is too much emphasis in the church today and especially too many of our Christian colleges that emphasize we have to reach the world by wearing their ways, by trying to go meet them where they are in abuse of what Mars Hill is. When you see Mars Hill in Acts, he's calling them out for their superstitions unto the true God and to get rid of their idols. Certainly, we want to make contact with the world, but that doesn't mean we go worship their idols to do so. And when we do, why would they ever come to Christ if we're just like them? What would be the point? You're no different. But if you're really different and they see over time how you handle things, including forgiveness, including mercy, including what is the main Christian ministry? Reconciliation. If they see these real things that are so different than the world over time, that's what will cause the word of Christ to grow, to take root, to be strong. That's what will cause the gospel to really make a difference in people's lives. You know the reason? I think one of the main reasons nobody's coming to church these days more and more is because we're so worldly as a church. You can't see the distinction, which is why politics are so utterly confusing and for me, unbelievably frustrating and disappointing. Because we confuse the things of the world and we put a Christian label on it, but it's no different than Diana and silver and magic books. Money. Matthew Henry writes this. When still more and more are wrought up upon by the gospel and wrought up into a conformity to it, then it grows. When those that were least likely to yield to it and that had been most stiff in their opposition to it, such as Paul in our text, chapter 19, who earlier was Saul. Who are captivated and brought into obedience to it, then it may be said to grow mightily. Beloved, you don't have to add more of the world in the church to reach the world. Do you know what you get with that? More of the world. As a youth pastor, something he said to me uh, years ago, I so appreciated, and we need to remember this, what you with, win them with, what you win them with is what you win them to. You don't add more of the world in the church to reach the world. You take more of the world out of the church. So there's more room for the glorious, shining, and life-changing work of the kingdom of heaven. Gospel growth comes by attrition of sins. And that is what we see in our text tonight in part. And that is the message for you this evening. Gospel growth comes by attrition of sins. Beloved, we've prepared many different witnessing tracks for you. Many cards that you can put your name on invited by so-and-so to the church. Are you bringing them with you out there? Are you helping us have to constantly reorder them? 
so you can keep giving them to everyone out there, seizing the day while today's the day of salvation. And in so doing, give a witness. Let them see your soul different than the world and invite them to come and meet Jesus Christ. Invite them to come and hear of Jesus Christ and come to be around people of the way, the truth, and the life. And witness how much we love one another and how much we've been willing to sacrifice our idols because Christ alone is our Lord. Gospel growth comes by attrition of sins. We've had a long study on the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. We've had a decent length of a study applying it with Psalm 18:23 with John Whitlock. Have you given much attention to that? What is your special sin? Have you made a list? Have you made a list of scriptures? Are you begging and praying over it with the Lord to beat it out of you, to tear it out of you, for you to kill it? If not, don't come crying to the church why we're not growing. Because we have to get rid of that. You and I have to get rid of those things. We have to seriously look at our special sins and rip them out. Burn them. And stop buying things for them. And then, what might happen? What I see in the book of Acts, gospel growth comes by attrition of sins. May the Lord help you and I to apply this personally and how we will cooperate with the Holy Spirit to give a witness through our life and our lifestyle. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would indeed continue to turn our world upside down to help us to kill the old man and put on the new man, to put on more of Christ. We pray, Holy Spirit, you bear your fruit of repentance, meat for repentance. Lord, that you make us righteous, that you help us not to cut corners in the marketplace, that you help us to go above and beyond, that people take notice and we have favor, such as Joseph. Lord, that we don't use difficult situations to justify sin, but rather, Lord, that you help us to be sanctified, that you help us to handle things differently, disappointments, setbacks. Lord, that you help us to handle our finances differently, that you help us to handle our entertainment differently. Thank you that we got to watch a Christian movie again this year and that a number of visitors came for it. We could have watched some worldly movie. What a waste that would have been. Lord, help us to be giving ourselves to these things more and more. Show us the special sins. Show us what to destroy, to burn up, to melt away. Do this work in us, Holy Spirit. Do it now in us by your word and spirit. Cleanse us in the blood of Christ. Change us. Help us not to be afraid of dramatic change. To hate what you hate, that we love what you love. Do such a work here, O oh Lord, indeed, that as you say, Lord Jesus Christ, people will see our good works as light to the world and salt to the earth and come to glorify our Father in heaven. And that will surely involve getting rid of wickedness that we like to call entertainment and amusement and harmless. It will surely involve no longer buying things that clearly are abomination to you, as clearly said in your word. 
Lord, let us have as a church an economic impact that stirs up the world and draws many to die to themselves and to be made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all your people of the way said, Amen.